look into the future, my darlings. And for you, I see something grotesque. It will sicken and disgust you. It's Put Up Your Spooks, the podcast that pits 80s and 90s horror TV shows against each other. I'm representing the 80s. And I'm representing the 90s. I don't know why I said it like that. Today's theme, fortune telling. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is called Dead Right, and it stars Demi Moore as Kathy Finch. And Kathy is, well, first I should say this all takes place in the late 1940s, early 1950s. Did you watch it on your, like, your, your Apple Watch or something? I watched it in a very tiny screen in the corner of my computer while working, which... Was a little risky because there's a lot of TNA in this there episode. There was a lot of TNA, so yes, a risky and b, you missed out. Oh, I was like, oh, it's an automat. How quirky! <laughs> I didn't know they still had those in New York. <laughs> wow, so many classic cars. <laughs> I'm not sure it has any bearing on the story whatsoever, except that maybe people placed more emphasis on fortune telling being a true. But Kathy Finch is a sort of down on her luck working girl. Working girl meaning a secretary kind of salaried employee. I think they call her a working they girl. They literally call her a working girl. And, and I, was I was like, like oh, Whoa, she's a prostitute? What? And it's yeah. like, no, she's a secretary. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm confused. But Kathy Finch is, uh, you could describe her as money hungry or as a gold digger. Um, but they also established that she's never had money and she works all these dead end jobs where she's not treated very well and not appreciated. So, you know, it, it's not too unsympathetic that Kathy wants money. So she goes to a fortune teller on the advice of a friend and the fortune teller who tells her that she will lose her job soon, but then get a new one. And Kathy's like, ah, oh, nuts to that. Criminy. <laughs> <laughs> so she, you know, dispenses a couple bon mots of 50s wisdom. And uh, then she goes back to her job. And uh, as soon as she gets back, she gets fired. And then she's walking down the street. And some guy from a adult entertainment club is firing one lady. And he offers her a job on the spot. So she's convinced that the fortune teller has genuine powers. So she goes back to the fortune teller, and the fortune teller says, Soon you will marry. This person will inherit a lot of money before they die violently. And uh, Kathy Finch is really into this prophecy because she says her whole life she's never had any money, and she's always wanted to marry rich, and she's never had the opportunity. So... She goes back to the strip club where she now works as a waitress. And really, the only reason that she's working at a strip club is because every seven minutes, they just hard cut to the stage where yeah. some woman, topless woman is dancing. 
we never meet these strippers. They they don't have any lines. They have no impact on the plot. It could have been a nightclub. It probably was a nightclub in the original story. <laughs> but being HBO, being Tales, Tales from, from the, the Crypt, it's just, they just got to put the tits in. So uh, the boss tells her that this particular customer that's always there, this really kind of big, gross guy, is... He's like a whale, uh, so to speak. He's a, a real <laughs> high-end customer that everyone wants to, you know, give good customer service to. And he kind of fits the description of this, the large man who Demi Moore was going to marry, who would inherit a lot of money and then die violently. And... The guy they're talking about is Jeffrey Tambor in heavy makeup, like prosthetic nose, prosthetic chin, prosthetic double chin, prosthetic uh, quadruple chin, quadruple chin, prosthetic jowls, prosthetic belly, prosthetic yeah, bald full spot. fat suit to a monstrous degree, like to inhuman. a monstrous, like a job of the hut degree. All on top of Jeffrey Tambor, who was pretty gross already. I hate to say it is is yeah, he maybe it now. not cast for his looks. <laughs> he's immediately smitten with her, and he's hitting on her and asking her out for a date, and she's like, "No way." And she keeps going back and forth to the fortune teller, who's saying, "Like, you're going to meet a large man, and he's going to inherit a lot of money and then die violently." And she's like, oh, but him, he's so gross. He's so awful. He's like, hey. Uh, the fortune teller is like, I'm always right. This is your future. You know, you can believe me or not. And so Demi Moore kind of plays it out for a while. She can't quite bring herself to go out on a date with this guy. It's kind of like the refusal of the call. <laughs> you know, she knows her destiny, but she refuses the first few times. And eventually she realizes that he probably is the big man and she does want to marry Rich. So she goes out on a few dates with him and, uh, you know, she kind of grins and bears it and he kind of does his best. He's, he's not a very clean guy. He's not very smooth. But he's definitely making an effort because he, like, has fallen instantly in love with her. And pretty soon she agrees to marry him. Uh, they go ahead and get married and then cut to a couple months later. And it's just like this married housewife drudgery where she's, like, doing all the laundry, all the cleaning, all the cooking. And he's, you know kind of a slob at home where he's, he's not lifting a finger to help her. He's making her do all this work and he kind of dotes on her, but he also kind of treats her like women in the fifties were treated. You know, she's expected to be a maid and a cook and kind of a servant An underwear washer. So she's really getting fed up and she's really disgusted about this. And she knows that she has, he has this rich uncle that owns this giant factory. And she's like, Let's talk about this uncle of yours. You know, uh, is he old? Is he sick? Is he going to die? And he's like, well, why do I care? I never talked to this uncle anyway. She's like, well, are you going to, you know, ever see this uncle? When do I get to meet this rich, loaded uncle? And he's like, oh, well, he lives across the country with his family. 
and Demi Moore freaks out. She's like, wait, he has a family, so you're, you're not going to inherit the money? He's like, no. Uh, what made you think that? And she's just furious, and she feels like an idiot. So she leaves and goes to the store, and while she's at the grocery store, she is surrounded by reporters and some guys that work at the store, and she's the one millionth customer, and so they give her one million dollars. Now, maybe the reason this is in the 1950s is so that a million dollars is like an <laughs> absurd of amount of money. And so the next time we see her, she's back at home. She's now in like a fabulous satin outfit, and she literally has like wads of cash like coming out of her purse, and she's like clutching dollar bills in her hand, and she's so happy to like dump this guy that she married she's really just saying all the horrible stuff that she's been neglecting saying and uh he just comes out of nowhere for him because he thought it was true love much like all of us yes and so she she tells him that she's leaving because she has the money and she never loved him jeffrey tambor grabs a knife and stops her from leaving and he's threatening with the knife and he's like if i can't have you no one will and so Demi Moore changes her tune real quick, and she's begging for her life. And then he brutally murders her. What up until now had been a sort of wry, 1950s-esque, almost screwball comedy with kind of dance numbers. Yeah. And a lot of, like, 50s-style tight patter devolves into this horrific ex extended blood spurting blood spurting brutal stabbing and jeffrey tambor just loses his shit he at at some point he's stabbing her and he's just going ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really disturbing. Like maybe when you were watching it on your Apple Watch, it wasn't so disturbing, but <laughs> I I I was spooked. Yeah, it was pretty gross. And um, oh, it should also be noted that I watched this on my lunch break. Oh, it was a bad, it's bad, a bad, move. bad, yeah, bad all around. Yeah, anyway, never watch Tales from the Crypt on your lunch no, break. No, nope. Continue. The big twist in this story is that yes, as predicted. She would marry a man who would would inherit a lot of money. He's inheriting her money, and then he violently dies in the electric chair. Probably the electric chair we saw in the first episode of The Man while, Who Would Be Dead. Probably while wearing a rubber diaper. Probably while wearing a rubber diaper. So the prophecy comes true, and the last scene we see is another uh, hopeless girl wandering into the fortune teller's uh, business. And it's kind of odd. It kind of ends with the fortune teller who is happy to dispense these dark futures without warning people, you know? (laughs) She's doing her job. I guess she's telling them the future, but I don't know. And very accurately. And very accurately. If she had never gone to the fortune teller, would she have been the one millionth customer at the automat? Hard to say. You know, there's so many things about this episode that were interesting and the fact that it was set in the 50s you know kind of relegated 
their relationship to certain roles and Demi Moore, who up until that point has been poor and struggling and unable to find meaningful, gainful employment, you know, her really, her only path to wealth or independence or solvency was marriage. Mm. And so being poor, she wanted to marry rich and she was a pretty crummy person. She was a proto-Madonna. She, she was, was the material girl. Material girl. She was girl. like, I don't care who it is, as long as he's got money, money, money. Right. She was definitely a gold digger, but like, it's not like she was on welfare up until that point. No, she had a good job in a department store or something. She worked in an office as a secretary, and then she she was willing to wait tables. Like, she worked. She's working for a living, living in a working. working for a living. She was a working girl. She was taking what they were given. And then when she got married and to this guy who was kind of a slob, like she was doing all the cooking and cleaning and laundry. Yep. Well, at that point, she was just waiting for that sweet money to come in. Yeah, she was waiting for him to die violently and she was okay with that. But you saw that she was kind of relegated to this servant role as a 50s housewife. Yeah. I, I thought, I from the beginning, I thought it was going to be her who snapped and murdered him. I thought so, too. I guess that was the obvious choice. Yeah. And then they kind of did but an they, end run around. They love that electric chair. On they really the do. Crypt. Well, they had the set, I guess. They already had the <laughs> yep. electric chair. Yeah, they definitely um, filmed those on the same day. And then Jeffrey Tambor, who's this like really large, kind of grotesque character because of all the makeup, it's he looks physically grotesque, and of course he's smitten with a young Demi Moore, because yeah. who wouldn't be? But he's also saying, like, there's a connection. There's something between us. Can you feel it? Like, the second I saw you, I knew that we were, like, destined to be together. In the world of this story, he's actually attuned to the fate that is drawing them oh, together. Oh, wow. So the he's not... connection, that's true. He's not wrong. They are literally fated to be together. And I think she kind of feels it at some point because he keeps bringing it up. He's like, she does don't you vomit feel it? when he Where, kisses her. That's true. He asks her out on a date and then he like dances with her and then he's like trying to tell her jokes. There's and all then a ruse on his part. On their first date, he does like give her a fairly chaste kiss on the cheek. And it's not like he's a monster. I beg to differ. Well, we find out later that he is a monster because he brutally murders her. He brutally murders her and forces her to do all the housework while he lays around in his sweatpants. But Which also, is gross, but it was the 50s. It was the 50s. And tell me that but husbands weren't acting differently. the thing. So the, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like a, the, a naughty, complicated... Yeah, the Jeffrey Tambor character is introduced at a CD strip club in the 50s. You had to be, like, wearing your trench coat with your shades and your fedora pulled down low. But he was always wearing a suit. I would argue that because of his looks and his <laughs> he size... He didn't give a shit. Well, he never he had, no, had an yeah. opportunity to meet a girl like Demi Moore. His I don't faded... Know his, his, his faded betrothed... Yeah. I don't know how he could afford to be an awesome whale customer at that place every single night because he lived in a shitty apartment where they had to like string up the laundry across the ceiling and he had no money and he had nothing. He probably had no money because he was always at a strip club. At some club, point he even right? said like, I'm not, oh yeah, definitely. 
Uh, he was like, I don't have much, but I've got some prospects, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, he was... So he had nothing, and he's at the strip club every night. Right, and because he, he needs human connection. To such, a, to such a degree that the owner of the strip club, who's like a fucking asshole, is like, take good care of that guy. He's our best customer. And he's eating like 20-course dinners every night out on the town. But what you have to realize is that he was literally fated to go there and meet Demi Moore. I suppose. So no, or, no, cho- no the choice. fortune teller is that good at manipulating scenarios. You could see the fortune teller with her dog, like, you know. Trotsky. Like, brushing the first, like, million-dollar customer away and then getting Demi Moore in there. This was a very interesting, stylized episode, as most episodes of Tales from the Crypt are, not only from the 50s setting and the, the cars, the costumes, the hair, the patter, but also there was a Dutch angle. Oh, my. I can't believe you missed that on your Apple Watch. I was probably looking over my shoulder to make sure nobody was <laughs> noticing what I was watching. And at one point, the fortune teller breaks the fourth wall and looks directly at the audience. I did notice that. says that her fortunes always come true. Uh-huh. Which was, A, pretty bold, because you and I both assumed that she was going to kill him. Yeah. And they they kind of kept telling us what the wording of the prediction was, that she would marry a man who would inherit a lot of money and die violently. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's no way you're going to guess how this plays out. And then they flipped it on us. Yeah. And we walked right uh, into it. So, well played, yeah. Tales from the Crypt. Demi Moore kept bursting into the fortune teller's house, like, late at night with where she doesn't lock her door or anything. I guess it was the 50s. Also, she's a fortune teller. She would know if anyone's she coming to rob her. She she's coming. Um, and being like, you! Your predictions came true, but it's all bullshit. <laughs> Fuck you. And it's like, what do you expect, Demi Moore? Are you, you getting a refund of your 20 bucks? Or you, you went to a fortune teller. She told you your fortune... The transaction ends there. She's not your lawyer. You don't well, keep going back to her. She feels consult. vibrations. She's attuned to Demi Moore's fate. <laughs> I found and, it funny. And keeps. She you know, didn't call Demi Moore and say, "Hey, come back here." At any point, she could have closed up shop. Yeah, but again, and Demi Moore would have maybe abandoned this. This lethal quest Perhaps. but she keeps reiterating was... to Demi Moore that if you just hang in there that's the guy that's the guy you're going to marry he's mm. going to inherit a lot of money what was in it for her she wasn't getting crisp new 20s every time Demi Moore burst in uh, apparently not maybe I she guess like... it's like a final destination thing where yeah. she's just like maybe she gets cancer the, if she doesn't Grim make... Reaper? Yeah. cancer if she, if she doesn't keep giving you predictions if she doesn't make sure it, it all plays out then she gets cancer that's a wild supposition. It has to be something. Otherwise, she can be like, we're closed. I got my mask on. Maybe she, because she sees the skein of fate, she knows that <laughs> none of us have free will. And that yeah, as surely just, as to be more. She's just floating down the river yeah. of the time. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Jeffrey Tambor's character is that he was never a good guy. Because, again, A, CD Strip Club. And B, the first time he meets her, he's like, Ugh. We have a connection, you and I. And I feel it, don't you feel it? And then she's like, fuck off, chump. He like dry humps her in the corner and he's like, I never take no for an answer. So 
He's never a good guy, ever. Are you saying that is not appropriate behavior? Maybe in the 50s, dry humping a stripper in the corner was appropriate First behavior. of all, she was a waitress. Waitress. And or working never girl. Even, never even got naked. So. Secondly, he did not dry hump her. He did. He he was just... He was grinding her he from was, behind. He was not grinding her. He, he was. was just very he was forward. on her. I guess he couldn't help. He but, couldn't help because he was a yeah, very large guy. Yeah, because he was guy. so giant. Yeah. I like how when he goes, I know I'm kind of a... Do the proper voice. <laughs> I don't think I can. I know I'm a, a, a little overweight. And she goes, and Hitler's a little anti-Semitic, which <laughs> is a she nice... she continued. Yeah, she, she lit him up. She fucking burned him to the ground. Popes but, are a little Catholic. <laughs> but uh, I like how she was able to uh, uh, equate fat people with Hitler. Mm-hmm. You know? That, that's a... Oh, yeah. There was a lot of fat shaming in this episode. A lot of fat shaming. So, unfortunately... Yeah. Everyone was was physically and morally grotesque in this episode. Yeah. Well, I would say to me was physically grotesque. What's and that? the dog was also very cute. The dog was very cute. To me, more was lovely, but she kept morally grotesque. Certainly, yes. And physically, she kept, nay. She kept imagining different ways he might violently oh, yeah. die. And that like, was the part where I had just taken a bite where he was like hacking oh, out chicken. That was terrible. Yeah, unfortunate. I felt like that, that, that scene rang a bell where he was like gigantic and choking to death. You're thinking of... Uh, Am I thinking of Nightmare on Elm Street? No, you're thinking of Monty Python and now for something completely different where the guy eats himself to death. Yeah, it must and be. And he can't eat anymore and it's just a little, it's just a little mint. <laughs> and he just like explodes or thin And then he explodes. Yeah, that's, that is what I'm thinking of. That was a great episode. My ferocious fighter in these frightful fisticuffs is an episode of what else? Are You Afraid of the Dark, entitled The Tale of a Door Unlocked. Justin is a naive young boy. (laughs) Justin and his friend, who I had to look at the credits to see was named Ben, because I don't think they ever say his name in the episode, are walking to school, and they pass by the old haunted Albert's house, or Albert's house. Uh, Everyone says it differently. And they see Justin's little brother, Michael, coming out of the house with a bunch of his friends. And Justin's there. Hey, you can't go in there. Don't you know you're not supposed to go in there? And his little brother's like, what are you, mom, spy? And they run away giggling. And Justin says, how'd you like to buy a little brother? And Ben says, nah, I already got a lizard. And so they're walking to school and they're talking about dames. Even though this takes place in the 90s, not the 50s. Ben is like a fucking lady killer. He's like, I could ask Beth, I could ask Joanne, I could ask uh, Helen, whatever. I got my pick of the litter. And uh, Justin's like, man, I wish I had your brass cojones. (laughs) But he doesn't. So they get like halfway to school and Ben sees Beth or someone walking down the road. And he says, yo, get out of here. You're blowing up my spot. And Justin's like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, I don't want an audience. So he pushes Ben away and lowers his shades, which we'll see. This kid was a t- kind of a terrible actor, but there's like several scenes where like beautiful women enter frame and he just lowers his shades because he's so fucking cool. He's like a proto prototype David Caruso from <laughs> CSI Miami. David Caruso definitely stole it from this episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Introduce me waiter. I know how doors can get a little stuck up. Justin gets shoved away, and uh, he goes into a shop, and he looks out the window, and he sees Ben lowering his shades and and, uh, making time with this cute little girl who's walked up. And uh, Justin says, oh, I wish I could do that. So from the back room comes a voice. 
Oh, what was that? What did you say? And out comes the other recurring character on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Sardo. No, Mr. Accent on the Doe. They call me Sardo. No, Mr. Accent on the Doe. And Justin says, oh, you know, I was just talking about how I can't really get girls. And so Sardo says, I have just the thing. And he roots around in his back uh, cabinet, and he comes out with a tiny little door. And he says, this door will show you the future. Justin's like, really? Awesome. How much? And Sardo is a character who is always trying to upsell. So he starts high, and he and then whatever they have in their pockets, he'll usually sell for. So Sardo walks away, and Justin's like, show me the girl who'll go to the dance with me. And uh, the, the door's locked. He can't open it. So he's like, oh, what a rip. But then it starts to shake, and so there's a little window in the door, and he opens it, and he sees this beautiful girl that he's never seen before. And Sardo tells him this is one of a kind. So Justin buys the door, leaves. Sardo immediately puts a second door in the window. So the next day, Justin is like, Ben, you got to check out this door. This is incredible. It shows the future for real. It doesn't work. Ben doesn't see anything, and he's like, well, great. Have fun with your little door. I'm peacing out. I got some ass to crush or whatever. <laughs> and... Then, of course, as soon as he leaves, the door starts, like, shaking again, and Justin sees the girl again. Cut to, he's at home in his room, he sees her again through the door, but this time, he sees her dying in a fire, violently, uh, and he's like, whoa, this is not so good, I gotta figure something out. So he goes back to Sardo's, and he can't get the door to work for Sardo either, and Sardo's like, well, no refunds, get the fuck out. And so, they're at school... They're in class, and Justin's like, forget about the dance. There's a girl who's going to die in a fire. i got to save her. I don't even know who she is. And suddenly the teacher goes, we have a new student today. And in walks the girl that he's been seeing through the door, this beautiful girl. And uh, Justin's like, whoa, holy shit, it's her. So he is following her <laughs> like a weirdo because he needs to see where she's going. Uh, and he, like, whams his head into a locker, and she comes over, and she's like, oh, are you okay? And he's like, hey, so... How are, how are you with fires? And is your dad a fireman? And she's like, no. And then Justin's little brother comes over and he's like, oh, I thought you couldn't talk to girls. Who's the babe? And like some other little redheaded kid comes over and is like, that's not a babe. It's my sister. And so everyone's embarrassed and blah, blah, blah. And then they talked about fires some more, but she's got to go. Her name's Ashley, by the way. Then they go to lunch. And Ben, of course, is just fixated on the dance. He's like, you got to ask your girl to dance. And he's like, I... Again, I can't, you know, be thinking about dances. There's this fire, and it's going to happen. And right when he's talking about fires, Ashley's walking behind him, and she's like, what's with you, you creep? What's with you in fires? And he's like, haha, it's just a hobby of mine. It's probably not helping his case. So anyway, she walks away, goes back to some friends that she's made, even though she's been there for one day. And they go, Ashley, we got a welcome gift for you. And they take out a tiny little piece of carrot cake with about 10 zillion blazing <laughs> candles in it. And Justin freaks out, and he's like, oh, no! He runs across all the tables, and he grabs a pitcher of water, which I've never had on a cafeteria, but, and he throws it directly on Ashley, nowhere near the candles. Because if she's soaking wet, she can't burn. She, she can't burn, so he's forward-thinking. Yes. And she's like, what, are you crazy? And then her friend goes, oh, take my jacket. And it's a Letterman jacket that she's been wearing in all the door visions. And he's like, no, you can't wear that. You're going to burn. He is inexorably moving towards the dark future where yeah. she burns alive. Yeah, yeah. destiny. Uh, and so they're like, get away from us, you pyromaniac crazy person. And I got to say, what's kind of nice at this point 
is that at no point is this kid really concerned about the dance. No. Or yeah. love or romance. He's just like, oh my God, there's a girl in trouble. All I can think about is saving this girl yep. that I see visions of her burning alive. But knowing Shy Boy's that age, he's also in love with her. Oh, yeah. Without having met her yet. So Even after she burns. He, he... Oh, yes. It goes without saying. So um, she's soaking wet. Everyone's like laughing at him. Ben drags him away. No, don't you worry. Uh, bed rest and warm milk. He'll be just fine. And Justin goes, no, you can't put on that jacket or you're going to die. I saw it through my my little door. Ashley, you're in danger if you wear that. Don't put it on. I saw it through my, my little door. <laughs> and this is an episode that I didn't remember that well, but when we saw it, my sister and I thought that was the funniest fucking thing, and we quoted it for years afterwards. I saw it through my my little door. It's just the way he says it. Yeah. It's like so nonchalant. Yeah, he, he delivered it as though he were tapping the brakes and he was about to say something else. <laughs> and then he just went and said the thing that he didn't want to say, which is pretty funny. Justin's little brother, Michael, is friends with Ashley's little brother, Brad. But they have this initiation they do with all their new friends, which is they take them inside the Albert's house, which is all broken down and derelict. And, and reputedly haunted. Reputedly haunted by old man Alberts. And so they go in there. They scare the crap out of Brad. Which is a pretty fun little... Great. Like, and s- fairly harmless. Yeah, fun little B story where they make the kids sit in the chair where the guy died. Uh-huh. And then all the other kids who are posed as furniture with uh, sheets over them come to life as ghosts, as right. it were. And scare the crap out of him. Great. And then afterwards, they're like, ha, 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 you're, now you're one of us. There's another episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark where some mean girls play a joke on the new girl. And they, they say, you know, in order to be one of us, you've got to go inside the haunted room. And the room actually is haunted. But they, lo- they lock her in there. So she's in there with a ghost. And she's like, oh, God, let me out. She's like going insane. And they just leave. So yeah. it's a lot meaner. That's how teen girls are. Yeah, that's the difference between teen girls. Teen but I got to say, girls. it was kind of surprising that this is a Are You Afraid of the Dark? So it is an inherently supernatural world. And to have this elaborate ghost prank. That doesn't turn into not an a ghost. ghost. It's not haunted. Yeah, there is no old man Albert. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird how these things can exist in parallel. Mm-hmm. So like a kid who's about to get abducted by aliens is like, oh, I thought I saw Bigfoot. No, you're getting abducted by aliens. So Justin's uh, sitting in his room and he's exploring the door and he finds a key in a side panel marked in. And just at that moment, Ashley calls him and she says, well, have you seen my little brother? He's supposed to be over there. And he's like, "Um, no, haven't seen him. And she's like, okay, I got to go look for him. Uh, So she leaves and then amazingly shows up at the house where they're all doing this initiation. And she's like, the Albers house? At the Albers or Albert's house. Uh, And she's like, she calls out to them and they're like, oh, cheese it. She's here. So they run away and they knock over a candle, which immediately sets like an inferno in the room. But she goes inside, because they snuck out the back or whatever, and she gets trapped in there. Justin asks his little sister, who has never shown up before, where the little brother is. And she's like, what are you, a spy for mom? And he's like, no, goddammit. So he weasels the information out of her that they're doing the initiation at this house. And so he puts two and two together. He knows, oh, God, Ashley's going to be in this house. That's what I've been seeing. It's burning. But instead of just running, like, two blocks to the house, he runs upstairs to his door... I guess 
to confirm uh, whether or not it's actually happening. You know, I thought that was strange too, but we actually don't know how far it is from his house. We don't know to how the far. Albert's house, but he knows nothing about the door except that it shows things. True. Oh, and he knows that there's an in key. And there's an in key, and also realistically, like w- when it comes to fire. Like smoke inhalation, like in seconds, you, you've got no time. You've got zero time. So you don't kid, have time to like kid, get on a bike and ride across. And he's town. probably been studying a lot about fire in the last couple. Oh, days. Oh, he, he's a straight up pyromaniac. Yep. Justin uses the key and teleports into the Albert's house. The door opens a portal. The door opens a portal to whatever it's showing, I guess. Yeah. And he saves her. He pulls her out of the way of the falling beam, but they're both trapped in there. So they jump down the laundry chute, which has clean, nice laundry at the bottom. Even well, it's though, all those all the sheets that the kids are. <laughs> it's like are, colorful are laundry. So and there doing might pranks. be a, an old man Albert ghost who's like doing his laundry. Yeah, stands to reason. That's the sequel. But they're trapped down there. The doors are locked. So Justin realizes. Wait a minute, I saw a second door at that rip-off Sardo, so they start screaming to Sardo for help, and Sardo in his shop hears the voices of two kids screaming for help and coughing, and he's like, hey, what? What's going on? And, and so finally he realizes it's coming from the door, because there's also smoke pouring out of the little door, and they're like, Sardo, help us, we're dying here. And he's like, I can turn this into some money. <laughs> uh, but then they tell him there's a key, it's marked out, and he opens the door, and they teleport into Sardo's shop, and then Sardo says, can I interest you in the triplet? There's a third Perhaps identical door. there's a third door. identical door. Probably there's like 20 of these doors. And if there's an indoor and an outdoor, I don't know what the third door is. Space door? I, I have ideas. Okay, we'll get we'll to talk that. about them later. We'll get to that. So everyone's alive. Justin gets over his fear. And him and Ashley looking, both of them looking immaculate and dapper in full suits and gowns to a middle school dance (laughs) go to the dance and presumably live happily ever after as most middle school romances do i understand or they die in a fire if this is a a terminator style fate that cannot be avoided merely postponed um for my part if i were that character which i was uh even though i had saved her life and gotten over my fears in that regard, I still would have chickened out in asking her to the dance because I still wouldn't have thought she would actually go with me. The end. Well, that was kind of a depressing and bitter note to go out on. <laughs> so here's what I'll say about Sardo accent on the dough. No, mister. He appears to be a bit of a double fortune teller. Now, in episode 67 of the Six Demon Bag podcast, I put a moratorium on <laughs> double, double fortune, fortune telling? tellers. And what I mean by double fortune teller is he's a magic man with magic artifacts who knows all sorts of stuff that defies the laws of physics. But he's also a huckster mm-hmm. who he doesn't really we'll know or believe in what he's talking about. Not at all. So he doesn't know how the doors work or why they work. And he's constantly surprised by what's happening, but none of it really bumps him. So here's the crazy thing, and I did note this. Yes. In every other episode in which Sardo appears, the wayward 
young child wanders into his shop uh-huh. and they have a problem. I don't have any friends. Uh, I, you know, I don't have any money, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He grabs a random item off his shelf and he says, this is a magic whatever you need thing. And it'll do exactly what you're talking about, exactly the way I say. And then it never does. It is a magic item, but it does something completely different than what he's saying. This is the only episode in which he exactly spells out what the door does and he's exactly right but he still seems to be fumbling and guessing he's totally guessing so my question to you is this like a needful things scenario is this like a uh uncle lewis's shop of cursed items from friday the 13th the series where everything in the shop is magical well i can't answer you that but i can say that he always gets his items from less than reputable sources he's always like getting it from a wanderer or like stealing it from somebody from, uh, from so like yeah, all the, the bone demon from yeah. hellraiser all of his items are totally magical but he but he doesn't like you said believe it and i don't know why they decided in this episode to have him spell out exactly how it works and be correct because they never ever did it in any of the other episodes I mean, he didn't really spell it out. He's like, yeah, the door, the door like, will yeah. help. It shows you the future. It shows you exactly what you want to see. You but he didn't it. know about the teleporting. He didn't know about the, he know about the but... two-way system. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, if the first two doors offer prognostication and teleportation to and from that moment, the third door would maybe go into an alternate reality. Or maybe it would be like time travel. You go back before that moment. Mm-hmm. So like you could see that future and then avoid that future. Or you could go to a world where things turned out differently. Yeah. Or you could go into Cool World. Who near, knows? Near, 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 <laughs> near, near. And at this point, I don't know if that song I was mimicking is from the movie Cool World with I think Brad it's from Pitt. from Ninja Turtles. Or I think it was from the Teenagers from it's, Planet it's, X, from Dimension X. It's when the neutrinos episode, come out. The neutrinos. <laughs> from t- all right. Still works, though. All right, roll the clip. So, like, what's the plan, man? Let's keep on cruising and moving, Callum. Hey, did that scene. I, f- I can picture One the neutrinos the blazing around Cool World. Oh. They're those kind of characters. Man, uh, the neutrinos were so cool. <laughs> they were too cool for school. Which reminds me, Ben, the character's too friend, cool for his only personality was that he wore sunglasses. Wore sunglasses uh, and had a lizard, apparently. Although I had to listen to that line twice. Um, at, at the moment when the teacher introduces Ashley and she walks into the school or into the classroom, you see Ben in the out of focus in the background slowly lower his shades. It's so awesome. Yeah! Because that, that was like a pure character moment from an otherwise kind of shoddy actor. There was so much terrible child acting in that episode. Uh, and it was a fine episode. I enjoyed it. But it, I did take note yeah. that Justin's... unlike the other episodes <laughs> of Are You Afraid of the Dark we've seen, mm. almost universally, every yeah. child in that episode was garbage well, get ready for a lot more in fantastic i can't wait J- justin's little brother was alternately the best and worst there was like one line he said where he was like excuse me oh well excuse me and i was like ah, ha, ha, ha. and then every other thing he said was like wooden and uh, terrible are you afraid of the dark tail the door unlocked scare factor scare factor low unless you have experience with fire in which case you're going to have a lot of repressed memories coming to the fore. Oh, which reminds me, when she's trapped in the burning building and the kid just shows up there magically, I'm surprised she didn't attack him because 
up until that whole point, he'd been kind of <laughs> forecasting, you know, foreshadowing the idea that he was like a yeah. pyromaniac or who was least... obsessed with her burning alive. Uh-huh. Like, how did she not think that he was the one that trapped her in that burning building? <laughs> At least ask him about it. Yeah. Oh, because on the phone uh, just earlier, they had said, hey, maybe we can start over. And she she went for it. She was uh, very, very forgiving. Yep. I thought it was funny when it was her first day, in, like her first 10 minutes in school. And immediately, boys were just like running at her. And I remember that was always the case. Whenever a new girl yeah. came to school, it yeah. was basically like a knife fight. All right, gross factor. Gross factor. Uh, we're doing Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. Gross factor, zero. Zero. Yeah. Nothing gross. It was uh, just delightful all through and through. What the factor? Except for teen hormones. Ooh, gross. What the factor? The fact that Sardo was correct. If you knew the show, you'd be... Shocked and surprised. Okay. And if you uh, didn't know the show? And also children dying in fires, I guess. A little bit what the factor. Eh. But uh, also very low. Okay. Vink factor. I mean, we have to create a new category, which is Sardo factor. I was going to say Vink factor 10%. Vink factor 10%? Yeah. Because of Sardo? Yeah. Because of a weird adult character? Who's... A weird adult character who's kind of... Goofy and off-center. We're going to have to find out if Sardo was ever in any Goosebumps episodes so we can do the, that one next. Oh, fantastic. I like that idea. I don't know if he was. All right, theme. Uh, 100%. Fortune-telling. Fortune-telling 100%. I'll give 99% to Are You Afraid of the Dark for fortune-telling because there was no crystal ball except for in the rap with the campfire and the Midnight Society. Oh, that's right. There was a crystal Gary ball. Gary has his crystal ball. Oh. And talks about fortune-telling. They they go deep. They go okay, hard. Okay, so I'm bumping it back to one hundred percent. Okay, back one hundred percent for sure. One hundred percent. It was one hundred percent. They really delivered on the theme of fortune telling. Okay, dead right. Tales from the crypt. Uh, scare factor is typically replaced with shock factor. Yeah, I, I'm still gonna maybe like a twelve percent when he knife stabs her to death. Dude, but I'm not talking about the percentage of episode. I'm just talking about how, yeah, shocking, how shocking that was. Yeah, that but he was, was so gross and, and awful. Uh, and, and we knew something violent was going to happen. We knew there was going to be a violent death, but they they literally had a montage of him dying violently. Yeah. And then they flip it where okay, she dies violently. I mean, you can add a percentage to it if you like, but I got to say that was pretty shocking. Pretty flat up until that point. Agreed. Uh, much like Are You Afraid of the Dark, it was not much scary or shocking. No, she should have seen it coming. The no. psychic pretty, pretty shocking. Did. Yep, I'll go with you. I'll defer to your... Uh... The the length and intensity of the stabbing. They needed to fill time. They were like, "Oh, we still got twenty minutes in this episode." Just, hey, it was just cut. It was so more brutal and disturbing. All right, gross factor. And that was Jeffrey Tambor working out a lot of his demons at an early stage. Yeah, gross factor. Ah, uh, a million percent Sky off the charts. High. Off Explosion the charts. of gross. So gross. Almost had to stop eating lunch. <laughs> I mean. You, you had Jeffrey Tambor in Jabba prosthetics. You had him acting like a disgusting slob. You had him getting hit by cars, choking on ribs, uh, yeah. knifing to me more and to just death. Being gross. Oh, so gross. Okay, what the factor? Hmm. I mean, it's, it had a, a tough one. Twist yeah. ending. But Th- this one was kind of like those glorious episodes of my shows where. Y- 
it's like, what? She's working at a strip club now? What? She's marrying a big, giant fat suit guy? There's a automats? What? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty high so, what the yeah, Okay, me- medium what the factor. Yeah, yeah. Theme. Again, 100%. 100%. Fortune telling. Yep. You can't get more fortune telly than constantly going back and browbeating a fortune teller. And the wraparound with a crystal ball. Uh-huh. Yep. So I think, think uh, I'm going to give this one to Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, I think Tales from the Crypt, based on our scoring yes! system, takes yes! it. Sardo, 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 accent on the dough, um, is the finest actor of any of them in no. both in both shows. Mister, oh, we're not we're not bringing Doctor Vink into this. Oh no no, just for these two episodes. Okay. Of all the actors in all these episodes, I, I thought got, Demi I Moore to was actually really good. Yeah, I she, mean, she she's had Demi a lot Moore, of range you know, in that she's, one. She's a superstar. She's, she's she's a superstar, or was. I don't know if she still is, but but Sardo, I mean, Christ, he's given it the full vink for sure. He's given it his one hundred and fifty percent. He never really gets a chance to vink out. Yeah, but he Sardo's out. <laughs> Fair enough. Special thanks to Jonathan Olson for composing our theme music. You can email him at Stepwise Studios to get your own electronic and synth pop songs. So, Jeff, shall we consult the Magic Eight Ball? I there's a question I have been wanting to divine the future. All right, ask a, ask your question, sir. All right, Magic Eight Ball. We'll put up your spooks. Become a huge runaway success. It's it's spooky. Rerun for your life. Wow.